races Cause on the 9th of June 1862 On a summer's afternoon I took the bus to Bamberg's And she was heavy laden The way we went along Collingwood Street That's on the road to Bladen Hello and welcome to CHN Radio, episode 74. I'm your host, Greg Troxell. You can find me on Twitter at NBC underscore Greg. And we have a lot to cover for you because the season has officially started. It was obviously not the best start, but we're, uh, when we get into the stats portion, uh, you'll know that's not, that's not rare to find in Newcastle world. But to join me in this miserable life of talking about Newcastle, I have the best damn co-host in the land, Elijah Newsom. How you doing? Hey. Hey. I don't know why you're so down. I mean, because, hey, I know it's not always glamorous being a Newcastle fan. And when I tell people that I'm a Newcastle fan, they, they, uh, they're like, especially in America, they're all like, "Huh, interesting, Newcastle." Huh, really? Because I'm getting, yeah. I get more why, why, like, why? Well, I mean, you well, you, no, it's followed by why. Yeah. The first okay. thing is, oh, that's <laughs> weird, and then it's why. Yeah. Um, and then, but. Just just be happy that you're not a Sunderland fan and you're not in League One. Oh, yes. That's... So uh, there's always that to be excited about. If you want to follow me and hear some lukewarm takes about all things soccer, at Elijah underscore Newsom is where you can find me. Greg, where can they find the podcast? Oh, that's, that's a real question. Gents, you need to go to at CHN underscore radio. Also, go to iTunes Type in mm. Coming Home Newcastle, because that's what Amen. CHN stands for, Coming Home it Newcastle really. Radio. Type in Coming Home Newcastle, click on our podcast, five-star, submit. That's literally all you have to do. And The next person who submits a five-star review, I will drink a glass of bourbon in your honor. Will you post it on the podcast site? Sure. I mean... All right. Like, I mean, drinking bourbon is not really like a... Oh no, it's terrible. Ah. Well, I know, but now we get to prove that you did it. Oh, well, uh, well, maybe I shouldn't have said a glass because that could be interpreted. Cuz like if I drink an entire <laughs> glass of bourbon, I would like die. Well, it's, it's just one glass. Well, I mean like a glass like a like a drinking glass full of bourbon, I would not die, but that's like <laughs> I was like that's oh, like no. way more than the actual serving size. Like, like a pint glass, you mean? Yeah, like a pint oh, glass, okay. or like a what? You, yeah, not like a bourbon glass. I was like, I'll drink like I'll drink a <laughs> single serving of bourbon on the rocks. Yeah, and and post it to the the site. I love it. I'll do it too. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So just, and for, if you for don't know se- what bourbon I'll, is, I'll do it for the it's second liquid person. gold. Oh yeah. So just just oh man, if you want to see us drink bourbon, oh no, got to you just got to tweet your review at. CHN underscore radio. Mm. Yeah. Or at Coming Home in UFC, which is our, our website's Twitter account. And then, which follow, is also and then just follow both. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't already, yeah. which if you aren't, then you're probably you probably don't even know what bourbon is. Yeah. That's that's what I think of you. <laughs> and that's just not a good thing. That's not a place that yeah, you want to be. Yeah, it's a terrible thing. Mm. If you're sitting around your house saying, like, what do I need to be when I when I grow up? It's a person that needs to know more about bourbon. Mm-hmm. Um, 
to move in into more things, uh, there was a match. It didn't end well. Um, what what did you do for our dreaded defeat to Arsenal, Elijah? How'd you, what how'd did you I kick, do? Yeah, how'd you kick it off? Were you just like watching it at the house? Did you go out to a bar? It was, well, I was a, in church. It was an, oh, yeah. So, <laughs> I was in church uh, having it up on my phone, checking it every five or so minutes. Oh, man. So God's going to send me to hell how, for that. But How many okay. people in America were watching Newcastle United versus Arsenal in a church at 9 a.m.? Me. Could you That's be it. the only one in America to do I so? think, honestly... Yeah, probably the only person in America. Yeah, I was I was watching it at my dad's house. I'm currently in Delaware. Shout out to the Delaware mm. Mags. No, no one knows where that is. That's <laughs> um, not a real just place. south of Philly. Um, and you know, we had it was four people were over watching the game. Good time. Um, yeah. But you know, the result actually, and we'll get, we're obviously get dive into this more. But the result was. More encouraging than you would like if you just scrolled through NUFC Twitter right now. The there was more positive than it may seem, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, but it, we both was predicted losses. It was so yeah, yeah, yeah. We lo- lost to them twice last year. Yeah, um, we so. made. Oh yeah, I wanted to start with that. We made an error and said that we drew them last year. We, we didn't, but we would have. Oh, we would have okay. liked them to do that, but they didn't. Well, <laughs> sucks for them. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's get into some club news first before we start. And the first thing I wanted to do is kind of the talk of everyone's minds right now is the fan protests. So mm. there, the announced attendance, I'm, I'm not sure if this surprised people or not. I thought it was higher than I would have thought that it was going to be, but not much higher. So the announced attendance was a... like. All right, that's another conspiracy theory, actually. So the announced attendance was just north of 47,000. Uh-huh. Um, do you have the exact number? I'm looking for it now. It's like 47.5 oh, something. I have it now. 530, uh, maybe? 47,635. Oh, that's close. And that includes almost 3,000 Arsenal fans, 2,937. So that leaves mm-hmm. us at 44, actually 43-something. Um. And some people are saying that the figure was marked up a little bit. There was actually like 44 total or 42,000 total that were at the stadium. But either way, um, and that's what I would have guessed. Either way, it's it's causing it. We're back talking about that again. Like that's being the biggest talk around town. So actually, on our yeah, main account, at I will I will say this, Greg, yeah. before you get to the main account, there the people are right. I mean, it's not a conspiracy. It's just how. Announced attendance works. It's tickets sold, so it's yeah. like it's not it's not the turnstile, which is the actual amount of people at the match. It's always tickets sold, and so it's like always higher than the actual attendance. Well, yeah, and a lot of people I would think were pro boycott Arsenal, but not boycott the rest of the season. <laughs> yeah, no, there were season ticket holders who were like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna make." They were getting all this praise on like 50 likes and 70 retweets, or probably the opposite of that, like 70 likes and 50 retweets. Like, oh, I've been a season ticket holder for 15 years, and I've now enough is enough. I'm going to boycott the Arsenal match, and it's like, I mean, you're still a season ticket holder, so like, I'm, 
I'm glad that for 15 years you haven't boycotted the match, but you're missing one match in 15 years. So I don't know if it's like worth the uh, the pomp and circumstance on Twitter, but it in the eyes of Newcastle fans, that that's a big deal. Yeah. Um. So Elijah, you wonderfully posted on the the site account um, at Coming Home and UFC a question about the fan protest. Well in relation to the fan protest about how we actually would get rid of Mike Ashley. There's some interesting responses on there, so I'm going to open up the floor to you, tell the people what they said. Yeah, um, so the question was, how do we actually get rid of Mike Ashley? Everyone hates him, but when people want to take action, nobody actually supports any of the proposed actions, which is something that we've talked about at least 12 times on this podcast. Um, and like it, pretty much every podcast leading up to this this one, we've mentioned the protests um, and how we both are like, if you're going to protest, you got to go all in. You got to get as much support as possible. And Newcastle's track record of protests has not been great over the past few seasons. And so um, here's just some some of the responses. Uh, let's see. Who do I want to go with? Um Toonami Chicago says, like with any other business tycoon, good or bad, money talks. There aren't many truthful statements he said over the years, but him saying $1 billion to buy the club to take it to the next level is spot on. The sooner that amount of cash is on the table, change will happen. Um, and then we got a double tweet from Eric, who is at Stu Manji. Um, and hit in response to how do we get rid of Mike Ashley, his, uh, his answer is, we don't. He sells when he sells. It's clear to me that the vast majority of fans are happy enough and are willing to just wait him out. If this summer wasn't enough to get folks to rally together and stop going to games, then nothing ever will. I'm not criticizing folks or telling people how to be fans, but you got a large segment of the fan base that just isn't willing to put the long-term gain of getting Ashley out above their short-term plans for the next home game or next away day. And folks, that is easily the best answer I've seen all day. Um... Just spot on with everything he said. Kind of sums up everything. Uh, our friend Maha Jordy uh, said, We can't until the fan base in Newcastle can get on the same page or stay away from the games and put their selfish reasons for going aside and unite. Until then, we'll never see this sad attempt at a boycott and really have no impact. Um, let's see. And then some, Graham Walton said, We can't actually get rid of him. All we can do is make NFC Owning NUFC, a pain in the ass for him so that he becomes a willing seller when the next potential buyer services. Um, and Peter Monahan, $350 million in advertising rights and he's gone. Uh, and then other, pretty much all the responses are like, uh, except for this one, uh, from Joel and Tune. Joel and Ton. Maybe they're trying to say Joel and Tune. Uh, at Mac Sot P. He says, IDK, an aggressive course of antibiotics. Has anyone tried that yet? Which is... Obviously not a serious answer, but um, the consensus, Greg, is that in order to get rid of Mike Ashley, like I think people have lost hope in fan action and are just like the only way to get rid of him is to sell. And what Eric said about just the vast majority of fans are happy enough and willing to just wait him out is just like that's that's the I don't know that, that's it. I mean, Newcastle fans seem completely content in the current status of the club. Um, and as proven when we were relegated, like they're fine with being in the championship, it, it appears. So um, he's right. I mean, I don't really foresee the fans actually doing anything um, in order to drive Ashley out. 
in the next uh, in the next year or so. And as many suggestions are being put out on Twitter, I know and you have. C360 ran a similar question. They had a bunch of responses. People were saying rush the owner's box, and people were saying throw tennis balls on the pitch, and we had a lot of that going on earlier in the, in the summer with, in terms of suggestions. But, like, at the end of the day, they're all ideas on Twitter, and, like, there's never any actual action taken. And if there's people taking action, they get roasted for doing so, and then less people always participate than, than say they are. And it's, like, just... It's just annoying to see time and time again, especially being Americans. And we're like, we're doing all we can here. We're helping raise support and awareness for for this and telling everyone else to apply to Newcastle. And, like, the fans aren't stepping up in, in certain areas, you could argue, um, in terms of actually putting down a plan of action and trying to force the owner out. Yeah, um, I know this has been a difficult struggle for a while. Um, I know that there's been plans to do something like this for a while. I So I have a little bit of a different take on this because like, I, just for me going to or just supporting clubs or teams that are known for like the most loyal fan bases in the world, uh, in, and that's actually in the Philadelphia area, uh, like they don't not sell out. I mean, I've, I've been to games like NFL games when the Philadelphia Eagles are a three-win team. And there's not an empty seat in that stadium, and hmm. they, that's just the way that people are here. That's just how it is. Like there's, you know, you drive down the road and you don't see anything that's not an Eagles decal on a car or an Eagles license plate or Eagles flags on, on the houses. Like that's what this area of, of the U.S. is. And if we were in a situation where our owner didn't do the right things or, or things to improve the team, like which we've been in. Um, it, it didn't change anything. The, the fans were still there. And for an opening, Premier League opening match against a top six side, to have that many people not there, that's a step in the right direction. It really is. Uh, this isn't something that fans are just going to agree at the same exact time. It's, it's too much of a process. And you're talking about generations and decades and decades and decades of going to every single match. Like you're not just gonna snap somebody out of that. That's gonna have to have to know over time. And I have to say, the way the club's set up right now and what the expectations were with Rafa and what they could potentially turn into in a, in a bad way with Bruce, if results pile up, you're gonna see that number start to decrease and decrease and decrease because like the 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 results piling up will change eventually. But this is not something that's gonna happen immediately. It's, it could even take three, four years before something actually happens to the extent that we need it to. But just know that it's, it, I think that this is somewhat encouraging that that many people were not there. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, and, and like I said, it, it, and we've both alluded to this, it's really tough to reach um, like as large of an amount of people as needed in order to truly make an impact and get them to act. It's like, you got to go beyond just Twitter and Facebook. And even then on Twitter and Facebook, you're divided and you got to go into the community. And it's probably even harder to go out into the community with a lot of older fans who, like you said, been there 25, 30 years and tell them to, to boycott a match. So, um, I don't know. It's something to consider, but I mean, I think that kind of goes both ways. There, there are fans who, we're not going to name them, but there's very popular fans who talk a lot of talk um, and aren't at the protest or aren't boycotting matches or whatever. And it's like 
if you're a fan and you say you're going to do something on Twitter, at least be somewhat accountable. I can understand where there's like the, I can understand if you you're not if you're on the fence about boycotting, you don't and you choose not to. But if you're out here saying we need to boycott and all that kind of stuff, the least you can do is actually, you know, boycott the match. Like that's that's my issue is that I feel like that number could have been bigger, but there were some people who said they were going to boycott just didn't. And we're all about it, and we're tweeting at people and judging people who weren't and saying, tweeting out F Mike Ashley or whatever, and it just didn't boycott. And those are the people who are like, why? Like, do something. Like, you can't, like, either say you're going to be there or boycott. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think, like I said, there's, there's definitely, it's definitely not all negative the way that's happened. Like, imagine, like, 10 years ago, if I told you that, hey, in 10 years, we're going to open up against Arsenal in the Premier League with a new manager and we just made a record signing and we're going to get under 50,000, nobody would believe. <laughs> like, definitely True. nobody would. Um, so the fact that all that transpired, you know, we're in the Premier League, a new manager. I didn't tell them 10 years ago who the manager would be, <laughs> but um, a record signing, like all that, I mean, we're we essentially made three record signings in less than a year. If we're just going with the old number. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty wild that we got under 50. It's pretty insane. And it's encouraging for the future. In my opinion, I know I'm being super optimistic there. Have you got anything else? No, I mean, I just, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the rest of this year pans out because I think, uh, I don't know. It's, it's annoying having this like every three months Newcastle fans like do this thing on Twitter like we need to take a look in the mirror like what do we need to do in order to boycott or in order to prove Mike like protest Mike Ashley and it's always the same suggestions and like still it's like at the end of the day in a year from now barring just a billionaire multi-billionaire coming in and buying the club from from Mike Ashley overvalued he's still going to be owner of of Newcastle so um, I don't know it's just that's it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's move to a signing that we actually didn't bring the people in emergency podcast for. And it's our fault. But it, I mean, we yeah, were doing true. stuff. Yeah. Uh, we signed Andy Carroll. We did. Uh, on a free. <laughs> so um, I think we, we all know who Andy Carroll is. But if for some reason you don't, Andy Carroll started his career at Newcastle United. And he may have been pretty good at Newcastle United. Um, we sold him for, at the time, what was a record fee to Liverpool. And let's just say, politely, it hasn't worked out. <laughs> and he ended up in West Ham. Uh, now he's back, presumably, to finish out his career with the Black and White Army. But uh, originally from Gateshead, right down the road. And uh, it's, it's kind of cool. You always want to see your, your guy come back. Like that's that's how that's ideally how it wants to be. If he leaves the nest, like hopefully he comes back and finishes there. That's like how a lot of those things happen. Um, but super cool that like we get to see this again. <laughs> but we we uh, well, he, we sold him for like I can't remember what the fee was. I know it was it was like something like forty five million US dollars. I can't remember what the exact fee is in pounds. Do you? No, okay. I mean, yeah, he was sold before I was born. <laughs> was he? 
I just, that, no. <laughs> I was like, wait. Okay, yeah, that was 2011. Yeah, yeah. Dude, was like, <laughs> he would be like, like Warren Barton was sold before I was born to Newcastle, maybe. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, it was really? 30 million pounds, by the way. Oh, okay. Oh, wait, timeout. What? Yes. 35 million is what was accepted. Okay. Yeah. Expert negotiating from Newcastle. The 30 million pound bid was rejected, and then they settled for 35 million pounds. It's like, I guess that's good. I mean, back then, that's a lot of money. (laughs) It's true. Uh, But yeah, he obviously had, he was dominant with us, and um, he even played in in Europe with Newcastle. Um, Must have been nice. And. I mean, obviously, at that time in 2011, 40 or 35 mil was a crap ton of money. So um, we have him back now. Elijah, walk us through like some of his, what like what he's good at. What some concerns that you have? Anything that of note there? I mean, it, the, obviously, his biggest concern is injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, it, he's currently not fit. He's not going to be able to make his Newcastle debut until I think what September 13th or something like that. Yeah. Um, is like the is when people are well when Bruce I think said he's expecting uh, Andy Carroll will be able to be ready to play by. Um, he's excellent in the air. Um, you're talking about a guy who um, if healthy can kind of rival Solomon Rondon in terms of hold up play and being excellent in the air, big, strong, powerful guy, going to be able to get up and get any ball kind of in his vicinity on a good day. Also has a willingness to take some shots from a distance, super just like cannon of a leg as well. So just like, uh, I guess, you know, what some may say a forwards forward. When you think about uh, like a forward 10 years ago, what the ideal forward in the Premier League um, would look like and it's, it's Andy Carroll. It's big, strong, good in the air, good hold-up play, swing balls into him and let him score, uh, that kind of player. I mean, obviously, the definition of what you know an ideal forward is today is completely different as play styles have changed, but, I mean, he is the complete package 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, some of his play style, like he's – I mean, if you're not slinging the ball into the box when he's in there, then that's your fault. Uh, super tall, and he's he's a big body. Um, so Aero Duels, he's really good at direct free kicks. Um, loves, like, long balls. He gets fouls often. Likes to do flick-ons. Like, that's his, that's his bread and butter. Um, and if he plays, then you might have a good player. Uh, not recently. There hasn't been a lot, but the guy's been injured a lot, so it's tough to tell what we're going to get out of him. Um, but yeah, a free stop signing right at the end of the transfer window there for your very own Newcastle United. Yeah. All right, let's transition mm. um, from our Newcastle's son coming back to Steve Bruce's weird son. Yeah, cringe. <laughs> Steve Bruce's son is weird, y'all. Um, so, Steve Bruce's son, who won promotion with Hull City, I believe that was like they won the that was he was on that team that was like on mm-hmm. Steve Bruce's one of his promoted sides. I'm pretty sure it was Hull City. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely Hull City. Yep. So shout out to him. He would think he was the captain of that team too, <laughs> which that's not nepotism at all. Uh, yeah. So 
Steve Bruce's son, Alex Bruce, uh, he got into it with the Daily Mail's Craig Hope. Um, and Which is one of the nicest guys <laughs> out there. Like, one of the most fair, kind of, like, never gets any slack or gives any slack either. So, I think how I'm going to do this is I'll, I'll just read the exchange real quick. And then I yeah, would love do. all of your, your commentary. <laughs> okay? So, this is how mm-hmm. it started. This is a tweet from Craig Hope. And you can follow him at Craig Hope underscore DM. Uh, free ad there, Craig. Congrats. Um, the buck stops with Steve Bruce after clumsy introduction of Jetro Willems, who did not know where he was playing, disrupts NUFC rhythm before ragged final half hour. That was his tweet. And then it was responded by Alex Bruce, who has deleted the tweets, but you got to love screenshots. Um, says, never seen so much nonsense and lazy journalism. Nothing in the game at all. Most people with a brain could see that except one mistake. This is a prime example of exactly what Graham Sunis was on about yesterday. That's what Alex said. This is wow. what Craig's response to him. He said, you're right, Alex. There was nothing in the game, so fine margins make the difference. Yes, a player coming on and not knowing where he's playing is a fine margin. Two minutes later, and he is caught cold for the goal. For that, the buck stops with the manager. And then Alex Bruce responded. He said, Willems came on in center midfield exactly where he played for Eintracht, Eintracht last season for Shelby, who was carrying a knock. But I, so, I pref- suppose you prefer an injured player left on the pitch. And Craig responded, we've been very fair with your dad so far. He's made a good impression, but we have to comment on a game in isolation. And bringing on a player who doesn't know where he's playing does not look good. It affected the team and contributed to losing the game they deserve something from. Um uh, he, and then uh, Craig went on. There's just two more to read here. Craig went on and said, as for creating a shitstorm, please don't blame the journalists. All fans are talking about is the confusion of the Willem sub, not naming a midfielder on the bench and how ragged the final half hour was. To blame the reporter is ludicrous. Steve McLaren tried that and didn't get far. And Alex <laughs> lastly responded with a player making a short pass, which was cut out led to the result, nothing to do with tactics or personnel, and Willems knew exactly what his role was going in. It's just you trying to cause negativity. V fair? It was his first game, and you're already starting. There it is. Ladies and gentlemen, Yeah, Alex Bruce, Elijah, take us. Let's break it down. So let's start from the beginning. Alex Bruce first, he, he quoted Graham Sonis, which is just mistake number one. Uh, just just don't do that. He doesn't say much that's right, so I don't know why you quote him. Um, but I think what part of what Alex's whole argument hinges on is the fact that Alex is arguing this fact that like the tactics weren't wrong because Willows was supposed to get subbed on as a central midfielder, which is just not true. Like Steve Bruce himself said, Willems came on and thought he was supposed to be playing central midfield but was in fact supposed to be playing left back. We wanted to put Matt Ritchie in the, in the center of the pitch. And so like Alex Bruce's whole argument revolves around the simple fact that that his dad subbed on Willems to play central midfield and like it's not his fault. It's not anything Bruce did tactically that led to that goal when in fact Craig Hope's whole point of the the fact that like Willems confusion to not to confusion as to what position he was supposed to be playing in fact, is what led to the goal, which you can make that argument for sure. Um, It just doesn't make sense for Alex Bruce to even just stay on this ship that's clearly sinking. 
when Steve Bruce, his dad, said Willems was confused. Like, he admitted that Willems was confused and that he could have communicated to him better or whatever. So it's just just a weird thing. And just, like, it was a losing battle that, like, he made no good points but kept talking. And it was just like, is there a mute button for this guy? And you have to just wonder, like, is he aware? Does he, like, read his tweets before he sends them and then, like, thinks, like, this is a good tweet to send? <laughs> Because it just, none of them made any sense. And, like, Craig Hope just looked like a hero, which, I mean, I'm pretty sure he was one of the people who, he got a lot of slack a couple weeks ago for publishing a piece on Steve Bruce. I believe that was him that talked about, no, Matt Ritchie. The Matt Ritchie piece, I think, is what he posted. Um, anyway, um, no, that was, no, it was Steve Bruce. It was a Steve Bruce, uh, like, press conference or something or interview that he posted. Um, anyway, um yeah, I don't. I don't understand Alex Bruce, and it's shocking that guy is coaching uh, football right now. And so, sorry, thoughts and prayers to anyone who's uh, currently getting instruction from Alex Bruce. Thoughts uh, and prayers. Uh, so he's so he's not a manager. He's a he's a defender. Oh, so he's not manager. No, no, he's he's actually still playing at, for Kilmarnock FC as a thirty four year old manager. Um, actually, just won a penalty for him, uh, which ended up getting them a point. So congrats. Um, but like, worry about Kilmonic FC. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, he's playing in a, or like a pretty, like we've said, you want to know what about Kilmonic FC? We sent Freddie Woodman and Sean Longstaff on loan there three years ago. That's So that's how good. Yeah, when they were teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> That's how good Alex Bruce is. They they need an old leader like Alex to whip those young those young guys into shape. Yeah, um, uh, it's it's so weird. all the bad takes. It's so weird. Angry man yells at cloud. Like, old man yells at cloud. Yeah, so I I get like I don't know when you're at this level you you should know the rules of the rules of engagement about like defending your dad on Twitter. Like it's just no matter how how it comes off, you're not going to win. Also, like it's one thing to defend your dad, which you can do successfully. Uh, if you want an example of a, of a family that defends their dad really well, look at the Calipari family. Just follow any one of them on Twitter. They just anyone who attacks Coach Calipari uh, just gets roasted. But it's one thing to defend your dad, but it's like it's another thing to defend your dad, and then your dad contradicts literally the whole basis of your argument, which is just embarrassing. So it's just one of those like, hey, at least read what your dad said before you start just tweeting at journalists. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a very weird thing. Um, we might we might follow this, you know, give the Alex Bruce tweet of the week. Oh, um. <laughs> something. Uh, I'm glad he's active on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, the last detail is just some League Cup stuff for you. Uh, the draw for the second round of the League Cup will happen tomorrow, Tuesday. And Newcastle will be involved in that draw. They play in the second round this year. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Uh, that, that will, those games, those matches will be played on in two weeks. The, week, the last week of August, that game will be played. Uh, Steve Bruce, if you remember, said that that's going to be something they're going to go for. So it'll be pretty interesting. We'll keep you updated. Anything yeah. there? No, that's that's delicious. All right, let's get to the match. Uh, we are going to do that right after a break from these people right now. Yo, Elijah. 
Yeah. Arsenal. Mm. We played them. We did. Let's talk about it. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're going to start. So after every match, we ask you, the people, to describe the match in three words. And we'll read them on the pod. And we keep our promises. We do. And this, I have to say, this is the biggest turnout we've ever had for this. We had 25 responses. Yeah, we might have to start, like, selecting the best no. ones. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> we're going to give the people what they want. No, yeah, I mean that's what everyone listens to this podcast for. Once once we have a hundred, then I'll then we'll have to select out but I'll read ninety nine all day. Oh my god. Yeah. I'll stop listening. <laughs> um, I'll literally go up and have a drink and come back. I'll I'll drive to a bar to get one oh, and yeah. come back. We'll, we're, we're, we read one to ninety nine in this podcast. Okay. Um <laughs> If you ever need to, if you ever need to tag in, like just let me know. <laughs> I'll try to follow along. All right. Um, yeah. Do you, I'll do the f- uh, whatever. Um, I'll I'll do a few and then I'll just tag you in. If they're okay. even in the same order, who knows? Yeah, maybe not. I'll just do them all. Okay. Um, Will Watson at Batman's Milkman says completely lacking imagination. Anthony at I'm not going to read your handle come up with a better one um yeah that's terrible <laughs> we miss rafa but that's a great three words uh eric at stubanji who needs tactics trevor mooney <laughs> the goat <laughs> he's got a new one ladies and gents uh brucey's still shite um mile high jordy at mile high jordy says could have been worse very true true uh zach leggett at zach underscore leggett says Brucey's bullshit tactics. Love it. He's, he says batshit tactics. Oh, yeah, he did. I just read it as yeah. bullshit. <laughs> yeah, well, because you're American. Yes, that's what we do. Stupid American. <laughs> NUFC for life at Toon Barmy 59 I love this guy. Love you. Love you, Toon Barmy. Um, what are tactics? <laughs> Don <laughs> at Smick Ultra. <laughs> Iozzi's still shite. We're in there. Wait, hey. Confirm. Did not score yesterday. Um, confirmed. Only one player had less touches than Iosi Perez, and it was Jamie Vardy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So there was no. I love how I love how literally, lesser. and this is just a, a quick aside. Every single article written by an American publication that talks about Newcastle getting relegated all points to like them losing Iosi Perez, and then it's just like. You just didn't watch Newcastle this season. Like, well, just admit it. I don't know anything about Newcastle. Some of it makes sense. Like, from the goal scoring, yeah. Well, let, we're, let's not get into this. We don't need to. But you understand yeah. what I'm saying. <laughs> um, one Lost Muffin, at One Lost Muffin, says, what was that? Kyle. Um, at Toon Army Chicago, what's up? Uh, he said, Jetro's schoolboy error, for sure. Adam P. Tate, at A.P. Tate. Uh, said yeah. what period the period bleep question mark question mark yeah uh mark piggin 79 <laughs> <laughs> the effing pits wow the effing pits mark love it um mark 500 the mark attacks here uh we got gone by christmas and then <laughs> Bertley bad boy response at effing hope so um Jonathan Armstrong at Johnny Arms said, is Pardue back? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Goat. Um, Bucky at Bucky is my name. I'm not sure. 
Oklahoma City Digest at Thunder Digest says no tears yet. What's up, OKC? Okay, Toon Army OKC in the house. <laughs> yeah. Um, Phil at Philhood77. Clueless after substitutions. Chris Fawcett. Okay, I'm definitely not reading 99, by the way. Um, <laughs> Chris Fawcett at C4Set underscore says 47,000. Chris Shitpeas. <laughs> Craig Shitpeas. Uh, Shitpeas at Craig Shitpeas says French Roll Fox. Um, anonymous at Anonymous Chat 9. I actually really like this handle. Uh, Brucey No Tactics. I hope Anonymous Chat 9, and if you're listening, respond to this. Did you check Anonymous Chap and then 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and then the ninth one was the, the yeah, first? please respond. Yeah, please let please. us know if that's what happened. I'd really appreciate that. Um, Colby Wilson at C Wilson 225 Sadness begins anew. Oh, he's got a baby. Shout out to him. Oh, shout out, Colby. Nice dog pick. Mm. Um, Malk at Ball 77. The new normal. Ryan at Ryan is in all of us. That's kind of weird. Um, not that it. bad. <laughs> mm. Give me some more, Ryan. <laughs> Graham Walton at Big Wallish. Where's my cabbage? And Thompa. I'm going to call it Thompa, not Tampa. Um, at Heffrey's pile of shite. That c- concludes our three words. That was awesome. Do that yeah. more often, y'all. Yeah, or or less. But <laughs> no, way more often. Don't. Yeah, we don't do what Elijah wants. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> I'll take that. Um, okay, so that kind of gives you a setup into what happened. We'll get into the match now. So Newcastle United loses one nothing to Arsenal. Um, the first step is the lineup. And it was a little interesting. Um, we pretty much confirmed the five-three-two formation. Um, I will just quickly say it, and Elijah, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Dubravka, then Mankio, Lascelles, Cher, Dummett, Richie, Hayden, Longstaff, Shelby, Almiron, Jolintu. Yeah. Um, I think... And I'll get into this a little bit more. I don't think this is the final formation. I think this was a formation based off the personnel Bruce was given. Um, I think it's one of those where uh, before St. Maximin, um, we didn't really have a quality winger to go alongside Miguel Almiron. And so he had to play him as a second striker or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, so that that's my take on the formation. I think this is not the final iteration I think we'll see some sort of formation that utilizes all three of our most expensive signings. But, um, I mean, it, it there were times where it looked like it worked really well. And pretty much it did work well until uh, we subbed the players off that we use in the formation. <laughs> Is that it? Yeah, I mean that's. It. I mean, I don't know what else you want me to say. I mean, we <laughs> no. we 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 have both predicted the exact same formation. No, we did. Like um, we literally both said that, and we said the only only change would be is if 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 um, DeAndre Yedlin doesn't play and he didn't play. Yeah. No. Yeah. We were like, this is why you listen to us because we're right. It's true. One. We're never wrong about anything. No, we've except never... for that time we said we'd lose the Man City and then we beat them. Uh, That's the only time we were wrong. No, I, I would even contest that we weren't wrong there. 
Oh, I don't think fair. I don't yeah. think on this podcast we've ever been wrong about anything. It's that's true. Pretty impressive. Um, it's pretty yeah. it's pretty remarkable to keep that streak going. Um, Except for when Greg said there was no chance we'd set, we'd sign Alan St. Maxman or Joel Linton. Just nope. I contest check the that tapes I was right that. there. Yeah, to check the tapes on that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that back out there. I would just contest it. That's all. Um, okay. okay. I also said Rafa never go to China. I was right. All right. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um, so first half, pretty honestly, the first half was. Wait, are you going to read the Arsenal lineup or? No, of course not. This is an Arsenal podcast. Okay. Well, I'm just saying. Like, I feel like it's. Oh, yeah, I feel like yeah, that's some that's that's important context to consider. Yeah, yeah. So, just just to, we we don't have to read it. Just mention the fact that. This was a very beatable Arsenal side. Yeah, yeah it was. It was their B plus team. Yeah, like you had yeah, two of their starters that were just. I'm like, come on! Yeah. it wasn't reserves. Like there were some legit players in the, in the squad, but yeah, it was. It was definitely a B plus team. But yeah, but it, it, like to that point, they were still missing arguably their best defender and then one of their most dynamic players, um, in Odell and Cub. We're not even going to try to say his name. Oh, who both were like uh, yeah who were just both for some they got a, i guess they got attacked again i don't well, know no, that actually just a little update on that the apparently the two guys found where they live and were outside Oates' house like that's so for weird. retaliation like, which is like legit scary like i hope everything's all right and i hope that yeah. stuff gets handled there's no no need for that anywhere of course. like get a real job Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was definitely a, a lesson squad, and that that gave me hope. And in the first thirty minutes or forty five minutes, we that's what we had. We had hope. Um, Almiron dominated this this beginning part of the match. It was so impressive to see like how how he just took over. Um, like I, I I don't know. I just have to say that like I was so impressed by how this started. Uh, and that was that was just like it almost like to the point where I was just like everything's going to be okay because <laughs> Almiron's yeah. going to take over. It's just, it's just a, yeah. Another aside, I just wanted to like like I don't know. It, it's it's so impressive watching him. Like if you just take a look at like take you could do it after the game because it's hard to do it during it. But I get into these habits of doing this from time to time. But just go and like just watch one player for about seven minutes or so, and just watch everything they do. Don't take your eyes off that player. It's so impressive watching Almiron. Yeah, um, and and I go. and like you said, I was kind of accustomed to doing that when he was in Atlanta, and that's why I was so excited about him and like just hot, gassing up so much on this pod and then in our chats. And like shout out to Brian who just has just so many terrible takes. But he was just like arguing with Greg and I about how successful Amarone would be in the Premier League. And we were both basically like, if you watch him and you watch his habits, it's going to be hard for you to say he won't be successful in the Premier League just based on what he does on the ball and off the ball. It's like there are certain things that like just transcend each league, like his work rate and just the way he finds spaces and what he does with the ball at his feet. Just it goes beyond what MLS or playing in South America. It's just like. He's going. To, he's a good player, and it was annoying hearing a lot of doubters, especially you know some Americans who don't watch MLS and just assume that because he was from the MLS he wasn't going to be good. And it's it's nice to see them proven wrong. And it was nice that it was done on a national stage. Like he kind of put himself on the map in the first 
45 minutes um, because it was a nationally televised game. Like, all there was MLS writers talking about it. There were um, guys who were from other sites who were talking about it. Um, fans all over England were watching this match because it was one of the only matches on. So, I mean, he just looked brilliant. Sands has won error in the first half. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get into that. So, first 15 minutes, it was uh, still goalless, and, and Newcastle started really well. They... They, at this point of the match, we we didn't really create a chance. and no, Actually, no one did. There's nothing really happening. But and that's where I'm kind of referencing that you could tell that Newcastle was taking the forefront. Uh, credit to Bruce because he didn't back down. Like The tactics or the instruction was obviously to go at him. And, and they certainly did that. Teams, both sides were pretty sloppy. <laughs> um, but it, it, was, it was a good start for sure. And then Almiron did something that I'm... One million percent against. Uh, he he dove pretty bad, and it, it really sucks in this standpoint. And I actually, the CHN radio account tweeted this one out and said, like, imagine if Almiron hadn't dove into the box because it would have been a legit chance creation there. Like there, we could have had a goal from that. Um, so just to paint a little picture, uh, he's he's splitting two defenders with the ball and had like the two defenders were. Defenders were completely stationary. They were stopped. And Almiron was going at about 500 miles an hour and with the ball. And they let him split them. They just let him through. And instead of keeping that pace and he had control of the ball in front of him, he dove. Wasn't even touched. Uh, got a yellow card from it, which was very that, – that upset me severely. Elijah, your thoughts? Um, I mean, I think he saw Mohamed Salah do the same thing at Newcastle and said, "Oh, I should, I can try it." Yeah, but he Mohamed Salah was touched though. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I'm just saying the whole diving thing. Um, and yeah, and the other thing is VAR is here now. You can't don't. It's not going to work anymore. Avar. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, just don't dive. I think he's kind of learned his lesson. Um, I think, like, if you get punished for it. You kind of stop. I think where it gets dangerous is if you have guys, <clears throat> Maitland Niles, who do the same thing and don't get punished for it and then continue to sort of flop about throughout the whole game. Oh, <clears throat> Maitland Niles. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that was just my, my quick thoughts on that. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, okay, well, um, yeah. Well, the first chance of the game came to Newcastle, and it was Almiron. He was working it out, out wide. Uh, he worked it to Richie, who whipped across that glance just wide of the head of Dolan Um And that was right after the booking. That worked out well. And then Dolan started getting to the game. He started forcing saves and getting some shots. And I have thoughts on that a little bit later. And then, it, really, it was halftime. Uh, really, the, all the action happened in the first 30, 30 minutes. From the 31st minute on... <laughs> They, both teams were like, okay, it's miserable, pouring rain. It's like kind of cold. Like, let's just get into the tunnels, dry off, and come back out again. <laughs> it was bad. Like, the last 15 minutes of that half was brutal. Any thoughts on the first half? Uh, into the first half and just was like, okay, Newcastle can get a draw. Um, definitely thought that uh, there was a potential for Newcastle to get a goal um, and potentially win. Uh Arsenal didn't look dangerous, but I just knew that like there were certain guys that were going to try to bring their A game in the second half, and Aubameyang was a guy I was kind of worried about coming out of the break, 
And so I, I had my doubts, but I, I I felt confident Newcastle could walk away from the match with a draw, and I'd take a nil-nil draw in Steve Bruce's first um, appearance as a manager. And I think Steve Bruce would have taken a nil-nil draw in his first appearance as manager. Oh, man, I literally said the same thing to the people I was watching it with. That's great. It's so true. So true. Cool. Moving on, uh, second half, uh, we had the first appearance of Jetro Wilhelms. The Dutch destroyer, and boy, did he destroy some things on that day. And that was the game he did. for Newcastle. <laughs> yes, he 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 destroyed his chances of being an instantly loved player. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a tough one, and there's a lot of reasons for it. Um, it was, and it wasn't all his fault either. Yeah, so I, you, could, you could say a lot of people's fault. <laughs> yeah, so he was subbed out for John Joe Shelby. Okay, and to remind everyone, Elijah, what position does Jetro Williams play? Jetro Williams is a left wing back okay. and said he was going to play left wing back okay. when asked about it. Okay, so what position did he come on for? Was it for John Joe's position? Well, you would assume that he was coming on to play left wing back so that we could shuffle some things around and move other people around. Um but you wouldn't expect him to come on for John Joe Shelby in the central midfield. Yes, you would not. Um, but he filled in as a central midfielder. And he gave up a goal. <laughs> so let, let's talk about the goal. Uh, Dummett was actually the start of it. And Dummett's somewhat at fault here. Um, yeah, I about to say, not the best pass from Dummett. No, yeah, yeah. It's completely correct. Um, it was a short pass, but Willems waited on it, and you just don't you just don't wait on on passes in the Premier League. Maybe that's something that he didn't realize. Maybe he could wait on some passes in Bundesliga, but yeah, definitely not here. But um, so he just sat there and Maitland Niles. Wait, time out. I would. Why would you? I don't even think. I don't even know why you would do that either. Because like half the teams in the Bundesliga press. It's so like you oh, really yeah, can't true. wait on passes. And like that's like that's like the thing in German soccer it's is like high press, yeah. pressing, exciting football. Like yeah, so that was even it was just boneheaded, maybe nerves. I don't know. Yeah. Um. So Maitland Elias steals it. He crosses it to Uba. 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 Um. And he has like all the time in the world, like literally centuries. And he lifts the ball over Dubrovka, and that was it. Yeah, well, Chibi, do they call him Dinker? Is it Uba? Oba? It's a bummyang. Well, yeah, but how do they? What? What? Were, what do they call him? Uba. It's Uba. That's what I was wondering. Yeah, because yeah, I think so. Because but he's got yeah. such a cool name. Like I don't know why you wouldn't say the whole Obama-yang. thing. Pierre Imbrick yeah, Bummyang. So yeah, um, yeah, Uba. Uh, got the yeah. goal, one nothing. So it's and the interesting thing on this. So it should be cleared up because some people are kind of messing this up. So he came in as a central center mid and Bruce was like notably saying like, what the hell's going on and trying to direct a switch. And at the time of the goal, Willems had just gotten to the left wing back position. Um, so he actually at the time <laughs> was not a center mid, but he just got there. Like he barely knew where he was supposed to be on the field at the time of that play. So his mind must have been racing. Like he came on, he's playing center mid, 
And then he's like looking over to the sideline. Steve Bruce is like, no, play left left wing back. And then telling Matt Ritchie to come in to play center back. I mean, center mid, which like, I guess Matt Ritchie does that now. And then like the ball just gets taken from him. So it's like, Jesus, yeah. guys. And then and, and all this to say, he doesn't even have time to react because the guy he's supposed to be guarding as the left wing back. Yeah. Maitland Niles is the one with the ball. He's gone. And he's, <laughs> he's long now gone. he's now gone. <laughs> yeah. Um but there's there's a lot to unpack here. Uh the first being like we already said this, and Steve Bruce said this in his post game presser. Willems was playing the wrong position. We've got we've gotten past that. Um but it kinda uh, I it's weird because I think it's a little bit unfair to put the blame solely on Steve Bruce. Uh, because I think that happened and people immediately were like, well, this goal is a result of Steve Bruce subbing him on at central mid, which is like not entirely true. Um, and I mean, as unfortunate as it is to have Matt Ritchie as a center mid, given the circumstances at play, that's a better option, I guess, yeah. than having uh, Jetro Williams. I don't know. It's it's weird. And we can we'll talk about it after we get through the rest of the match. Oh yeah, we'll just yeah, we'll deep deep dive into that. <laughs> dive right on in. Yeah, um, that pool of jello. So so right after that was the appearance, the man's Alon Saint Maximin, Saint Gucci Max. He makes his appearance and he comes on for Sean Longstaff. Now. All, all homeboy Alex Bruce over there <laughs> claimed that Shelby had a knock. But Sean Longstaff didn't need to be subbed out at all. He wasn't yeah. involved, but he was making no mistakes. When he had the ball, he was solid. Yeah, he backpassed a lot. But like this is his first game back from a significant injury, too, by the way. Um, he didn't need to be subbed off, especially when there's no cup. Like, oh, this is, this is where I can get so annoyed is – Let's go into it now. You put four okay. defenders on the bench to cover for two guys that might have been hurt. Well, you just need two defenders. You don't need four. Why do you? Why are you putting four on the bench? Yeah, and, I, I didn't understand that. Yeah, if two guys are hurt, you need defenders on the bench to cover. Then put two guys to sub in for those on the bench. The fact that we have a healthy key and your and your first two subs, you just don't sub out a center mid if we have no one left to play that position. Yeah, that's like the first rule of FIFA. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And also, it, it's. It, I think the other thing that's that has to be said here is that even if you need a sub on Alan St. Maximin, there are other ways to kind of get around that. So, um, like, just off the bat, you know Isaac Hayden can play right back. So you can go to a four-in-the-back formation with um, with him playing right back, or and then you could sub off Dummett. Or you could – like, there's just – there's there's a lot of just different or sorry you had Javi Mankio like you don't you could just sub off Dummett and take off a defender and put St. Maxman in because the reason you put St. Maxman in is, is in order because you wanted him on you you just change formations but I think that's where you get to the point where I think Steve Bruce has tactics but I don't think he has he's not a tactician like he's not he doesn't adjust his tactics and so like when a situation like this arises. It, it doesn't seem like there was a plan B. Like he like I think with Rafa, it's like no matter what happened during Newcastle's reign, like there was always a backup plan to whatever situation happens. Isaac Hayden gets 
a red card. We know what we know what we're gonna do. We know the form like everyone he knows immediately this is the formation we're gonna do. Jamal Lasells gets injured. We know what we're gonna do. We're gonna bring in the center back, you're gonna play like there were just it's just like you knew with Rafa, no matter what would happen, there was gonna be a backup plan. And with Bruce, it was kinda clear that like when shit hits the fan, he doesn't have that backup plan. Like his his plan was I think his plan initially was like, Oh, we'll get a goal and then if we don't have a goal, I'll sub off you know, maybe Miggy or Joel Linton for St. Maxman, get him some play time and see if he can do anything. But something off Sean Longstaff is just a really odd move when, like, if you were not so married to your formation, you could have subbed off, like, three other different players. You could have subbed off Matt Ritchie. You could have subbed off uh, one of your center backs. You could have subbed off Minkia. You could have subbed off, like, just so many different players in order to get St. Maxman on the pitch. And he chose to sub off the one position you don't have cover for yeah it's it was pretty boneheaded to be honest uh to be frank and it, it definitely cost us like that that move there forced almiron to fall back into the to the midfield three so it was in our center mid was miguel almiron matt Ritchie, and isaac hayden who by the way another great day for him congrats to isaac yeah um but that's just not like the difference some people don't understand too the difficulty of playing a different position in a sport because you know the simplicity of it is you just run around and chase a ball but position is everything like where you are on the field is everything and the spacing and this significantly hurt the the entire second half between Almiron and Jolinton and which is another thing I'm going to get into actually um in a little bit so do you have anything on this part yeah, I, the other thing to add is that like people, it there are some things I don't like about uh, Newcastle fans, and one thing is that like it's like people like they're always waiting for a player to mess up in order to criticize, and so Almiron of course messed up with the dive, and I think people kind of forgave him after that. But like there are people saying Almiron shouldn't be in the middle, like shouldn't they're like Almiron's not, you know, he's he's not a good central midfielder. It's like like. Almiron was not brought into Newcastle to play central. He wasn't brought to be an eight or a six. Like he was brought in to be a ten or a winger. So to expect him to be good as a central midfielder is a bit ridiculous, especially considering his frame is not that of any sort of central midfielder. Like of course he's going to get bullied around and pushed off the ball. Um, and then just at times it seemed like no one knew where they were supposed to be playing once the midfield kind of collapsed. Like Sean Longstep, Isaac Hayden, Shelby knew clearly and were able to work with each other and figure out, all right, if I'm pushing here, I'll drop back here. But when you have two wingers, both of them, Matt Ritchie and Almiron, like tended to drift away from the middle of the pitch and go out wide in an effort to either swing balls in or just that's just where they were more comfortable. So it just left this gaping hole in the middle of the pitch. And you saw so many times Isaac Hayden just sprinting back on defense uh, because there was no one in the middle of the pitch. Um, and even though Arsenal's midfield wasn't impressive by any means, just like the mere fact that we had people in our midfield who didn't play midfield made their midfield look so much better. Like Gendozi and Shaka didn't have great games, but they looked like freaking Conte and like Pogba against our midfield yeah. because it didn't exist. Yeah. Yeah, um, and so then after after that, Senkuchi Max, he he actually, I, I he's the exact type of player I think this team needed to get some spark um, in us. 
but the, nothing happened. We had we had no ability to make anything happen. And we'll get into what I was going to mention now is like, and this I noticed this in the first half too. And I know this is we're playing a side that was probably that was just they played overall better than us. Um, but one thing Joel Intune has to know is that when Almiron is dropping back, so Almiron would drop back a lot in this match, and that's simply because Arsenal's midfield five was beating our midfield three. Because um, it was really, like, the, the formation was a 3-5-2, but it was a 5-3. It was a 5-3-1-1. That's kind of yeah. how it lined up, because we were defensive a lot. Um, so Almiron would drop back because it was a 5-1-3 midfield setup. Uh like while we were defending, Jolinto needs to know, and that's what Rondon did very well. Is Rondon came back for this? The spacing has to be right. Like Jolinto can't be caught out thirty yards away from Almiron. You can't make a play there. They have to have that chemistry and stay close. The the, the positioning needs to be a lot closer together. So like when when Jolinto puts himself that far out, he's essentially like all he can get is scraps at that point. Like he needs to be there to like ticky-tack and play off of Almiron and make some runs close to space, like find space near Almiron so he can play a pass. He's not just going to ping the ball up 30 yards. Um, that's something just to watch. It's the first match. I'm not. It's not a concern of mine, but with Jolinton being 22 years old and never played in the Premier League before, he needs to learn that right away, in my opinion, because that's they're not going to have any chemistry at all if they stay that far apart we play teams where we have to defend a lot and essentially it has to be said they also hadn't really played a match together where they were really asked to defend yeah like they had to against arsenal so you know you're playing in saint Etienne. even even in that match newcastle weren't really sitting back and defending they still very much controlled that match from start to finish yeah and i mean obviously when you're playing who who knows earlier before that um under the bruce system then yeah that doesn't come up but I think it's one of those things where these are some of the issues we saw could have easily been fixed but there's some stuff that do that like it's one of those things where if it if it keeps happening you get really concerned really quickly and like like the Sean Longstaff substitution is one thing where it's like all right we give Bruce benefit of doubt like he messed up with team selection he didn't really like he knew he needed to get Maxman on he just didn't sub off the right player like whatever but it's like if that keeps happening and he still makes boneheaded substitutions, then you have a problem. If Joel Linton is still so far away from Almiron that like the counter is basically just non-existent, that's something to be concerned about. But like you said, first match, not huge deal. Um, yeah. Not as big of a deal as Newcastle fans were making it. Jeez, if you had read the Newcastle comments yesterday, you'd think Newcastle lost 6-0. Like, it was just like the most depressing thing I've ever seen. I'm like, guys, I mean... It's we lost and it was not pretty, but I mean it was still one nil and we still have like the smallest goal differential out of, out of all of our relegation rivals. Yeah. So let's uh let's not be too upset. Yeah, yeah. No, it, like I think uh, you said it. Three words where it could have been. Oh, mile high magpies. Oh, said, which is just wow. Yeah, and and it's it's <laughs> dead on. I mean, it could have yeah. been worse, and it wasn't, which we're grateful for. Uh, do you have anything else you want to say on on the match play, Elijah? Um, I mean, there there were some there were some really good moments that uh, did give me a lot of promise. I think for the most part, our defense looked as disciplined as they as they could. Then again, 
Uh, Reese Nelson, Joseph Willock are not really what I'd say premier attackers. Reese Nelson, solid player. Mkhitaryan, solid player as well. But um, it's good to see that they were able to like not completely break down against the likes of Aubameyang. He was relatively quiet um, besides uh, that goal, and he had a couple other times he ran at the defense. But, I mean, the defense was, was solid, and if you have a solid defense, that's that's so key as we saw what happened to Fulham. And, I mean, obviously the reason Arsenal is not in the Champions League, I mean, defense is everything in the Prem. Um, good to see Javi Mankio. He played, he played well as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see right back's going to be a position to, to pay attention to because I think we have three right backs that are all kind of almost at the same level, you could argue, but all offer something strangely different. So um, we'll see how that, that shapes out to be. Yeah. Um, going to quotes, our first Steve Bruce quote. Um, mm. He said, we were okay first half, and unfortunately against a good team, we've gifted them a goal, which is never easy to recover from. We left ourselves a bit exposed then, but overall I was pleased because there wasn't anything in it. I can't remember playing against Arsenal, and the goalkeeper has had so little to do, but unfortunately we've made a mistake, which has cost us. Um, he's talking about Dubrovka, like playing against Arsenal and, and Dubrovka not having to do a lot. He made one great save, yeah. by the way. Um he said we had a little half chances where you needed to fall in the box for you, and we stuck it. The players couldn't give us anything else. We, they were terrific until the very end. I'm just disappointed we've conceded a bad goal, and they are rightly disappointed in the dressing room. Fair. Um, yeah. Unai Emery said, it's a very good three points. <laughs> right. Which is yeah. true. Um, some stats. Steve Bruce followed Rafa. Steve McLaren and John Carver in failing to win the first game in charge of the club. The last manager to collect three points in his debut, Alan Pardew. Three to one win against Liverpool. <laughs> Man, December 2010, Alan Pardew. Uh, there are some debuts for Jolentoon, Jetro, the Dutch Destroyer, and St. Gucci Max. Uh, that increased the total number of players fielded in the Premier League to 234. Um, Emil Croft was an unused substitute, so he'll be the 235th when that happens. Um, and we've now failed... Also, another sub, another person you shouldn't have named on the bench. I'm sorry. Just, like... What? I don't know. I don't know if... I feel like that was just like a, a wasted bench substitution. What? I mean, Emil bench... Croft? Yeah. 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 Exactly. Like you didn't have. To, yeah. Yeah. Like he wasn't like you. There was like the only way you play him is if like both Hayden and Minkio are injured. Yeah. Um. I yeah. It's just mm. it was odd. Uh the we've now failed to win our opening home match in the Premier League or the Championship since defeating Spurs two to one in August of 2012. Uh, we've drawn two and lost the other five um, in that era. So that concludes your your stats. Um, yeah. Not a lot of positivity going on there. Sorry about that. Um, okay. Let's go to your worst player from the match. Um, I think there was another Steve Bruce quote, um, but I don't remember the exact quote, but I do remember he did say something that like kind of was like a breath of reality it was like he when he was talking about the whole Jetro Willems thing 
he said, this is what happens when you have players that's been, that have only been here for five minutes. And uh, it's just like, that's the harsh reality of like Newcastle doing business in general is that every single season, uh, it seems like Newcastle get to get off to a slow start. And it's because we give our signings like a week of training and a week of to understand tactics and get to know players instead of, you know, what a normal club would do, which is give them the entire like preseason to get to know players. So it's like, there's like, I'm not super shocked that Jetro Willems was confused coming on the pitch. Like he's been here for a week. I'm not super surprised St. Maxman didn't start. I mean, Kraft didn't even play. It's like you get stuff like this where it's like, when Steve Bruce is pointing out there's an is an inherent flaw in how you do business at your club, then like, I don't know, you should maybe start taking it a little bit seriously. I mean, at at, at this point, pretty much every single manager that's managed under Mike Ashley has said something along the lines about how the club has waits the last minute to do business and how it negatively affects how the team is built. And still the club, time and time again, wait to do things until the last minute. So that's why I'm not too concerned about the performances of certain players. I mean, I think it will clean up, especially as the season goes on and chemistry starts to develop. Yeah. But yeah, let's get into it. Best and worst player. Um, who's your worst player? Oh, man, this is... All right. Um, Man, this is kind of tough, honestly. Um... I mean, like, can I say Steve Bruce? Is that an option? <laughs> That's a because I mean I because I think if there's a negative performance from a player in this match, it's not a result of the player itself. It's themselves. It's the result of just like the lack of organization from the manager. Like, you know, you can say Almiron and Longstaff. I'm sorry, Almiron and Matt Ritchie didn't look good in the midfield. Because, yeah, they're not midfielders. Like, that's not their fault that they're being played out of position. You can get on Jetro Willems all you want. But, like, the truth is that when he came on the pitch, he thought he was playing central midfield. Because, to be fair, his last competitive match, he was playing central midfield. Um, and it just wasn't clear to him that he's playing left wing back. And that's on the manager. And so, like, you know, you can link directly the play of certain players and how they how they finish the match, especially to just the fact that Steve Bruce just messed up completely with that. And uh, so, I, I mean, I like, I don't know. I don't really think there was a player I thought was super bad. Um, yeah, I'm going to go Jetro. Uh, it okay. wasn't just that mistake that he had. There's a few where Maitland Niles just honestly just destroyed him. Um, hopefully it's a wake-up call. Um, another thing that we didn't mention, I just want to say real quick, uh, what that – what the hell was Jamal LaSalle's doing on that goal? He, like, Aubameyang was running in the middle of the pitch, and then LaSalle's closed on the ball when nobody was on Aubameyang. He left him wide open in the box, like, ran away from him. That's just all I have to say about that play. I, I think that's a I, lack of communication. I don't even think he knew that there was no one Oh, no, him. he knows. I, left, I watched the replay. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, but I'm going to defend Jetro Williams a little bit because – Again, I still think it goes back to the fact that if you bring in a player with only a week to learn the system, they're yeah. not going to do well in the system. Yeah, this is. It's like let's just tr- take this like worst player. Like it's 
week one new manager playing Arsenal like it it, it is what it is <laughs> and I'll say this one more thing about Williams from what I saw it does look like he's going to be definitely pretty far up the pitch because he was just up there and hanging out um just... yeah actually and that's another <laughs> thing Steve Bruce actually talked about that and said that he, that's one thing that they need to work on because he wasn't happy about high up, how high up the pitch he was. Yeah. So like it was, it was, it was like okay, we're playing, we're pretty much playing a back four. Um, and that's another yeah. thing. It's the highest pressing in the first half, and I can't believe I didn't mention this either. Um, it's the highest pressing I've ever seen Newcastle that I remember. We we were pressing yeah. so high up in the first half. But anyway, that's uh, let's go to best player. Um, my best player, Fabian Chair. Okay. I mean, you're gonna go into that. Oh, that, another here. another solid day by him. Nothing got by him. Nothing. I mean, they tried to attack him. He stopped it. There was nothing that that um, Arsenal could do to get by Fabian Benscherfa, and that to me is good enough. <laughs> um, he was yeah. involved a lot too. They played out of the back from him a lot of times. So I, I was just very happy, and it's like he's he's. Back in this form. Um, my other shout out to Isaac Hayden. That's it. Okay. Uh, well, Isaac Hayden is my best. Yes. Um, just because, uh, I mean, he's asked to do a damn near impossible job. Um, and then kind of, he just had a really good week in general leading up to the match. Just like pretty much reaffirming his commitment to the club, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it kind of set a good tone, and then he proved it with his play. Like, he's kind of at a point where he doesn't need to prove anything to Newcastle, doesn't need to prove anything to anyone. I mean, you know, he's not playing under Rafa Benitez. He could do whatever he wants, and he worked his butt off um, and was the only true center mid we had play the whole match, and uh, he did all the dirty work and covered up for a lot of the mistakes that Almiron and Richie made in the middle of the pitch, which is something that you have to... You have to acknowledge because that game, like that, could have been way worse, uh, considering the fact that Richie and Almiron just literally had no idea what they were doing. That game could have easily ended two, three nil if it wasn't for Isaac Hayden kind of being aware of how he should position himself now that he's really playing as like almost a sweeper, and uh, because we just had no center midfielder. So uh, shout out to him; he just had a great match and just proving his worth once again and making it really difficult on Steve Bruce to kind of de- decide what formation or what he needs to play uh, going forward. And I, I, that's kind of my, my last thoughts on, on the whole match as a whole is that, like, again, I don't think this is going to be the formation that we see Steve Bruce stick with. And if we and if we do, and if he does stick with it, it'll be interesting to see like is Alan St. Maxman going to be happy coming off the bench? Because I mean, I'd rather try to make it work with him as a starter than to have him just check out completely um, and like not be happy and be pissed that he's coming off the bench. Because that's kind of the last thing you want is a game changing player like him to just not give his full hundred percent when he's on the pitch because he's not happy where he's playing. So you when you have a player like that, you make it work. Yeah, I love it. Great, great choice there. Um, we're going to answer your questions. Thanks for bringing those in, and we're going to do that right after this break. All right, Elijah, it's question time, and mm. we've got a good bit of them. Um, okay. Uh, first one from Batman's Milkman, Wolf Watson. What is up, man? Um, 
Would you like to see a more progressive formation with a front three, including St. Max, Gucci St. Max? Uh, if so, do you think Bruce would change after just one game? Elijah, you you were leaning into this one, so I'll give you the floor. Yeah, I think I think if you're going to try it out, maybe Norwich is is the way to do it. But it, it's it's interesting because. It's one of those things where you're unsure because it is still Steve Bruce. Like you don't really understand. Like if it were any other manager, you know, they I'd probably be like yes because it makes sense. But it's still Steve Bruce, and like the way that Jetro Williams was talking last week about a three-five-two, um, that being the system, and just the fact that like there's no way Steve Bruce didn't know he was getting Alan St. Maximin, and there's like no reason he shouldn't have like taught a system with a three in the front. Like, even though, you know, you're playing with Christian Atsu or Jacob Murphy, like, even if that's not your starting winger at the end of the day, it's like, you have to, you have to kind of at least teach your squad. And maybe they were working on it in training. I don't know. Just, you know, what it looks like if we have a front three or what it looks like if we're playing a four, two, three, one or four, three, three. So it's like, um, you would hope that Newcastle change their system. Yes, I obviously would like to see it because I think everyone wants to see a counterattack with Joel Linton and Alan St. Maxman and Miguel Alamiron. But will it happen this next match? I mean, maybe is my final answer. And maybe Thursday when we record this preview, I'll have a better answer for you. But for now, the answer is maybe. <laughs> um, next question from him is... What's your thoughts on more fan protests? Should there there be more, or do you think the the high number of fans at the Arsenal game will just make more fans go? We kind of alluded to that, um, kind of in the wait and see pattern for me. What do you think? Yeah, it's a wait and see. I think what we have to, what I'm going to be looking for and paying attention to is just how the protest groups respond. Um, you know. They can either go harder and try to organize another boycott or organize another form of protest or go back to the drawing board. Um, because I think you're at a point where, hey, you know, there's a way there's a way to show that you don't like Mike Ashley and a way to demonstrate that and also have people, uh, you know, go to the match. I think we're kind of run the course in the boycott era. Last season, it was like an iffy thing. And now I think it's like it's done and dusted. I don't know if another boycott's happening within this year. Now, like Greg said earlier, within three to four years, probably it's potential. It, it could happen. But, I mean, I think you're at the point where maybe you're throwing foreign objects on the pitch or something like that. I don't know. Um, or <laughs> please don't rush the owner's box. But that could be the next course of action because I think we've moved on from, okay, don't go to the match because I think you're it's hard pressed to find people who are just not going to go to the match at this stage. So I'm curious to see what the next kind of set of protests is going to be done because people are still mad. Yeah. That hasn't changed. Yeah, for sure. Um, at Mile High Jordy, he sent us a question, said, is Steve Bruce doing a good Steve McLaren impression? I say after game one, 90 minutes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's game one, yeah. Uh, it's still another guy who you, you're a little worried if he has control of the uh, of the locker room, as they say in American sports. Uh, and if he kind of realizes the players he's working with, that's my biggest worry with Steve Bruce at the moment is like, do you know who's on your team and like what positions they play? Because it seems like he doesn't. Um, so, yeah, I'd say he's doing a good Steve McLaren impression so far. So far. 
Um, was that the worst 20 minutes of football you've ever seen? Um, no, because we watch CONCACAF football. So there you go. That's I, I have a prepared answer for this when I saw. Okay. Um, March 5th, 2016, Burnmouth 3, Newcastle 1. Um, February 13th, 2016, Chelsea 5, Newcastle 1. <laughs> um, November 28th, 2015, Crystal Palace 5, Newcastle United 1. October 25th, 2015, a third tier side 3, Newcastle United 0. Um, and my last submission, um, October 3rd, 2015, Manchester City 6, Newcastle United 1. I got one October of what twenty is that October twenty sixteen, uh, America and Trinidad. That that was also <laughs> a gross match. Yeah, for a lot of reasons. That was and also the Mexico match was terrible. Like there was like there like I mean yes that was bad but like dude I mean like we've seen worse. Yeah, no, that's Afcon, I feel that like question is more Concacaf, Newcastle. Like there's just there's way worse. Uh, also the playoff final last year. Uh, for League One, that wasn't particularly pretty uh, football. I mean, it ended in Sunderland losing, but it was still a terrible match. Um, um, so there you go. We'll keep this one to a one-word answer. Uh, Mile High Jordy says, if we lose to Norwich, how many heads will explode on Twitter? When I say one word, I mean one answer. Um, my answer is all of them. I mean, they're going to overreact. I mean, yeah. We also, did we lose to Cardiff last season? No, we drew. But still, same thing. Like, <laughs> um, it's a match Zach, everyone's like, we should have won. Zach Leggett at Zach underscore Leggett. Uh, based on Arsenal, Jolin Toon seems to be the kind of player who likes to come deep to get the ball. Do you think he needs to play with Muto or Gale playing off his shoulder to get the best out of him? Zach, I actually just mentioned that a little bit early. Jolin Toon was way too far from Almiron. I think that's if we're going to play the, th- the 3-5-1-1 type of setup, uh, they have to work better, Almiron and Jolinton, for that chemistry. Um, unless you want to do like a three-five-two, making Almiron part of the five midfield and putting like Saint Gucci Max up top with him. But either way, he's he's got to be a little bit closer to that midfield. Do you have an answer there? Uh, that was uh, that was spot on. Okay. Uh, the last question from the official questionnaire of CHN Radio at Trevor Mooney 12. He says, Who bore the most resemblance to a lost puppy Sunday? Brucey on the touchline of a Premier League match? Richie in the middle of the pitch? Or LaSalle's wander- wandering, wandering, I'm assuming, LaSalle's wandering around the goal? Uh, none of the above is my answer. It's obviously Matthew Gendozi because he literally looked like a wet dog with his hair in the rain. Uh, so. It's definitely Richie in the middle of the pitch. <laughs> yeah, that was actually comical. You could throw Almiron slash Richie because they both weren't in the middle of the pitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, at one point, we were playing an 0-10-0 formation where just everybody was in the middle of the pitch at one point. Yeah. I was literally, like, I paused it. I think I actually counted eight, but I was like, screw it. It's an 0-10-0. Um, but yeah, still, like at at points, we literally had no idea where people were playing. It, it was bad. Okay, um, you got anything else there, Elijah? No, I mean, you know, it was the first match of the season. Yep. Um, and I think a lot of people overreacted. Um, I think we need a sample size of five to really get a a a a, a nail on things or kind of 
to be able to step back and look at things and determine whether or not Newcastle are going to have a successful season. But even then, as we learned last season, you could have 10 terrible games and still somehow not be relegated. So not worried, not yet. Um, but that's the theme of this podcast is not worry, not yet, because that's what we've had to endure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that concludes episode 74 of CHN Radio. We'll see you later this week when we're previewing our match against Norwich. Um, until then, enjoy. Maybe maybe take a little breather off of NUFC Twitter. But before you do that, follow us at CHN underscore radio and at Coming Home NUFC. And then, obviously, you'll find us from there. Um, but my, my name is Greg Troxel. I have the best damn co-host in the land, Elijah Newsom. And you're listening to a beautiful rendition of Blade and Races and Away the Left. Me 
made the grooms quite moody. Coffee Johnny had a white hat on, they yelled, we stole the cuddy. There were spice gals and monkey shoes, and they had white selling ciders. And the chaps of a hat and his own devotion, and no more lads for riders. <laughs> 